Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is all about anxiety, specifically the connection between food and anxiety. We have our dear friend, Dr. Uma Naidu on the show today, and she is talking about what foods cause anxiety and what foods can actually help with anxiety. And I love this episode. I've definitely dealt with anxiety in my life and have noticed the connection between food and times where I'm anxious. Yasmin, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but for me, and I think we even actually talk about this in this episode, there are two specific times where I really notice it. It's when I skip meals or in the past, if I drank alcohol, the next day I would have so much anxiety. And so I don't really drink anymore and that's been really helpful, but I do notice that when I'm eating more consistently and I'm eating blood sugar balancing meals, I don't get that kind of dip in my blood sugar, which can cause so much anxiety. And then also just like eating a whole foods nutritious diet has helped so much, but It's so fascinating because I think a lot of people don't connect anxiety with food. It's so true, Kaya. And it sounds so simple because you're like, okay, I'm eating whole foods. I'm eating more frequent meals. And it actually makes such a difference. And I was someone really, I would say up until recently, maybe even like a year ago, where I did not have that connection between what I was eating and how I was feeling. And it was actually one time, I think I might have talked about this in another episode where something was going on at work and I just felt more anxious. And I remember having, it wasn't like a full-blown panic attack. It was just more anxiety than I've ever really felt. And I remember my husband's like, did you eat anything? And I was like, I had lunch. I didn't realize I skipped breakfast. And that was like a big aha moment of like, oh my gosh, literally, if you're not eating or not eating the right food, my lunch definitely was not, I would say, I think I had like a sandwich because I just grabbed something. It was not blood sugar balancing. And that was the first time where I really realized like the things that I eat or don't eat impact how I'm feeling. And the last thing that I want to deal with and everything that we're doing is having any feelings of anxiety or stress. So one thing that I'm trying to do outside of having more balanced meals is genuinely just eating more frequently. Like you were saying, whole foods, good foods. But that's why I also really love this interview. And I know Uma's back for a second time because we're both just so passionate about what you put in your body, how you feel. And if you can avoid feeling anxious or stressed out, I'm all about it. I'm here for it. Totally. It's like those memes that have been popping around everywhere that that they crack me up, but they're so true. And it's like, girls will be like, I'm anxious, but they've only had three coffees that day and that's me sometimes oh my god totally we've all been there and there's also a lot of talk of just deeper mental health disorders in this episode as well we talk about orthorexia we talk about anxiety disorder we talk about the connection between our gut health and our gut bacteria and our mental health it's so fascinating today's guest is dr uma naidu she founded and directs the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service in the united states She's the Director of Nutrition and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and the Director of Nutritional Psychiatry at MGH Academy while serving on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. She is the best-selling author of This Is Your Brain on Food, and her newest book is called Calm Your Mind with Food. It's a very interesting approach to treating anxiety with the food that you eat. This is such a great episode. If you or anyone you know is struggling with anxiety, you're going to want to tune in. So let's get into it. Dr. Naidu, we're so excited you're with us again for a part two. Congrats on your book. And I know today we're going to be talking a lot about the connection between anxiety and the food we eat. So before we go into all of that, I know that anxiety is actually a personal issue that you've dealt with. So I'd love to hear more about your experience and really what the impetus was for your latest book. Thanks so much for that great question. Thank you for having me back on your great podcast. Um, you know, I wanted to share, I've had, uh, I think, two real bouts of anxiety in my life, both of which, by the way, I uh, used nutrition to help me. Um, and the the one that I want to describe is most closely linked to my new book, Calm Your Mind with Food. So I wanted to share with people that 
good things that happen in our lives can also actually spurn anxiety. It's not always a negative experience. And for me, it was the success of my first book, This Is Your Brain on Food. And you would think, well, why would that be a problem? Well, you know, I think I found myself in this real, um, almost like um, hamster on a wheel experience where it was one media event or one podcast and and one thing after another, all of which was building the platform around my work. But it, it was really creating a lot of angst in me. And as I got busy and stressed, I, I, I think some of my healthier eating habits fell off um, and a lot of things went wrong. But a great experience that happened made the anxiety worse, which is I was invited to be a keynote speaker at the first integrative and personalized medicine conference in the UK. So it was one of the first conferences I went back to in person. And upon accepting the invitation to be the keynote in mental health, and this was in 2022, I then received an invitation to uh, meet uh, the then His Royal Highness Prince Charles because of my work in a very small introductory meeting with three other doctors from the U.S., and I have to tell you both, I thought it was fake. I thought like someone was just like lying to me. Yeah. <laughs> I went through this whole, like, oh, no, this is not real. Um, but that experience was was very, very positive. I'll just say it was an, it really was amazing for my life, for my career. But it spun me into so much angst that it, it toppled me over. I started doing the wrong things with my nutrition. I just was all over the place. But I wanted to share with people that it can be an amazing experience in your life that creates this too. It's not always, you know, something negative. And how do we use methods to walk ourselves back from these things? Um, rearrange our nutrition, you know, go back to those healthy practices. And so the book was very, very personal for me. But also the other impetus was that two things. We know that... Um, in in May of 2020, for the first time in the United States, first time in my career ever, ever of two decades as a psychiatrist, Zoloft or sertraline went on shortage in the entire United States. There were so many new prescriptions for anxiety that we ran short. So that was one thing. And then the rest of it was really seeing people, different age groups, demographics, really just across everything, every, every different factor with anxiety. And we know that The Lancet uh, published a paper which showed that anxiety has increased by 25%. So, you know, it, I, I felt we needed more solutions and that was led to. As you mentioned, so many people, especially in the most recent years, have been struggling with anxiety. But I think people, a lot of people want to know, what is anxiety? What's exactly happening in the body when we experience these different symptoms of anxiety? Right. So that's a great question. You know, the DSM-5TR, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that psychiatrists use to, or mental health practitioners use to really help diagnose conditions, has a list of criteria. But I also want to share that it can mean different things to different people. It can be poor sleep. Um, it can be changes in how you're eating. It can be a physical feeling, but it's a mental health condition defined by an excess of stress or worry that inhibits your really ability to function every day, um, to perform your daily activities. Um, it can also manifest as physical problems. You can have an increased heart rate, shortness of breath, sweating. You can feel lightheaded like you're about to faint. You can you know, be fidgeting and just not know how to calm yourself down. And you can also wake up with you know, what my patients describe as a pit in their stomach, unable to get into their day. So in unable to perform their usual daily functions or activities um, are how I often describe it to people outside of the textbook definitions, which also includes some of those symptoms. Yeah, no, that's so helpful. And I'm sure with anxiety, there's a big range, right? It could look different in so many people. But what is so interesting Correct. how you started the interview is talking about like how good things can bring anxiety. I've never really thought about that. You know, like we're just so passionate about building this business and getting education out there that I sometimes do see myself also on that hamster wheel because you're just excited. You want to get it out there. And 
I hundred and thousand percent notice when I don't eat as well, or if I eat fried food, for example, I am done and I feel the anxiety completely tackle up, like increase. So this, I'm just so glad we're having this conversation because one way I manage this high impact, high intensity life is completely through nutrition. And it really does make a big impact. So I'm so glad about you sharing the work and everything you're doing. So you touched on what anxiety looks like. How would you define what the anxious gut is? What, it, what does that even mean? Right. So you, you've heard the expression, um, butterflies in your stomach. And we often use this expression, but we don't really think about it. But often it's actually an anxious gut that we are technically, scientifically talking about. So the gut and brain is, uh, are connected. We've spoken about that before. The, the gut and brain arise from the exact same cells. They um, then grow apart to form these two organs and they remain connected by the vagus nerve. But, you know, stress in the mind is translated to stress in the gut on the belly. So we often feel it, you know, we use the word stomach, but we feel it in our gut. And it can result in things like a loss of appetite. It can make us feel nauseous. We might, you know, need to run to the restroom more often, um, you know. So things like that can actually be a manifestation of the uh, sort of a physiological manifestation of real anxiety and people can experience it in different ways. I'm curious about that because a lot of people who have IBS also struggle with anxiety. So is it a chicken and the egg situation? Is it the disrupted gut is causing the anxiety or is the anxiety causing the gut disruption? Is it both? And so I'm going to say it's bi-directional, and that's because I have clinically and through the research seen it on both sides. I've seen anxiety lead to an uptick of symptoms of someone who has had otherwise, you know, not so difficult, um, not so so much of a difficult gut condition, IBS, IBC, SIBO, so many things. But I've also seen people have an uptick of, say, their SIBO, um, small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth, and, and then like present with panic or anxiety and see an uptick of symptoms that way. So I do think that clinically, and it's based on the research that it's bi-directional, tough to know which comes first. But, you know, some interesting things nutritionally can be done. People don't realize that the healing of the gut and a helpful food can be food that is more spicy for conditions like IBS. Um, because people always think that, oh, spice is going to disrupt or upset the gut. Actually, it can be very healing. So a lot of cool things and cool nuances uh, in that area too. You mentioned also panic attacks or panic when you were just talking. And I think that's something people struggle with too. How does food contribute to panic attacks? You know, so panic attacks are sort of a sudden onset of extreme anxiety. They tend to come out of nowhere. And what happens is inflammatory foods like like we eat tend to eat in the standard American diet called the sad diet for a reason. It's also called the Western diet. Um, you know, the foods we tend to eat in that diet are the ultra processed foods, the fried foods, like you referred to, Yasmin, uh, the, you know, the added refined sugars uh, that can contribute over time. If you were eating those foods every day, which I know you're not, those over time lead to chronic inflammation in the brain. It starts in the gut, the gut becomes inflamed, dysbiosis gets set up, then this leads, because of the connection and the ecosystem that's all connected, The this can lead to neuroinflammation and an increase in anxious feelings. Um, so over time, this can lead to more panic depending on your sensitivity to these pro-inflammatory foods. How about blood sugar? Because for me, the only time that I thought I was going to have a panic attack or the few times that it's happened is when I skipped meals and I just was working and I was like, what is going on with me? I feel anxious. My heart is racing. And then somebody has to remind me, you probably didn't eat something. So what is the connection between our blood sugar and panic attack? That's such a, that's such a great question because sometimes it's those simple things that I have to work on in my, my clinic. Someone has missed a meal. Uh, or they're not drinking enough water. You know, they've, they've forgotten, mm, yeah. they've just forgotten and they're working on Zoom or working, you know, creating recipes and they're not drinking any water or they just, they skip, like they realize it's 5 p.m. and they didn't eat until the night before, uh, since the night before. So 
hypoglycemia, drop in blood sugar, actually precipitates anxious feelings in, in a lot of people. Not everyone. Some people can intermittent fast for longer interval and be okay. But for a lot of people, if they skip that meal, that low blood sugar can really lead into anxiety. They can, they can feel not only is it hypoglycemia, they can have a raised pulse rate. They can, you know, feel uncomfortable. Um, they can, you know, you've, you've heard the term hangry. You can, you know, can be more irritable. Um, it also, by the way, happens if we are dehydrated. So um, if someone has, you know, has not been drinking just enough water or even a calming tea, uh, those help to hydrate us. You can really precipitate more anxiety. Another tip about this is um, cravings. When we have like hunger pangs, we've, you know, skipped a meal, we be busy doing something and you're starving, but you know you can't get to your healthy meal or you can't get home for another hour, drink a glass of water, drink a tall glass of water, because in the brain, the center that deals with um, hunger as well as thirst is very similar. And often the signals get crossed. So you might actually be thirsty and not realize it. Uh, also, a tip I give people, if you arrive at the supermarket and you're starving, drink a glass of water because that'll help the choices you make. Uh, you know, take you away from the candy aisle to, to the vegetable and produce section. So. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use, we make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. It's interesting. I'm just going to share a story in case it's entertaining for everyone. I went to dinner the other night and there's this one place that has like the most incredible French fries. I don't eat <laughs> fried foods because I know the way I feel, but like it was like a healthier restaurant. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to eat the French fries. I ate the, like literally I ate the entire plate myself. We were in a group yeah. of four uh -huh. and I was having a great dinner. I came back home. I truly felt anxious. Like my husband said something and I just was not in the right mindset and he was like he didn't say this at the time but he was wondering like oh did the fried food because we we don't eat that way usually like did that right. make an it's not the way you typically eat right yeah but it's good to have like the awareness of like how do I feel when I eat something I've you know I'm slowly developing that but one thing that came out I think like the next day it was like on Twitter I'm curious if you heard about this but there was some research report saying that an increased amount of french fries has like, I don't want to tarnish what the study was, but there was some correlation between high anxiety and specifically French fries. And I was like, what? I just lived this myself. But I don't know if you have any context on that, but it's fascinating. So, you know, I, I love what you're sharing because it's actually what we call a pillar of nutritional psychiatry called body intelligence. The, the more times that people actually connect what they eat to, to a symptom, not technically a symptom, but how you feel essentially, is so critical because people will tell me about brain fog, um, inability to just concentrate in the afternoon when they're at work, whether they're working from home or whatever it is. And one of my first questions is, you know, what are you drinking and what are you eating? And what have you been doing in the past three to four days, if not a week? Um, because it is, I think the more times we connect that doesn't, you, doesn't, I, I'm not a purist in the sense I'm ever going to say to you, don't eat those fries. What I'm going to sure. say is I'm so glad you noticed that because now you'll know, you know, save it for that, save a plate of fries or pure fries for that time when it's a place that you know they make it so well and it's delicious. I really feel like giving up those things is making, is leading to a joyless life. Uh, so I don't think, but, but having the awareness of how you may feel more anxious or it may tip off your mood or feel feeling more down. I also have individuals who the next morning say, I just don't have the energy. I just slept poorly. Um, sometimes it's that second glass of wine. Sometimes it's the fries or, or it could be a, a, a 
a difference in what they usually eat very often. But when they have the awareness, then the next time they approach it with, with mindfulness. And it doesn't mean I ever say to them, never eat that. It's more, oh, you know, I, I love to have that special dessert when I got my husband. But you know what? I'm going to split one with him. Yeah. Or I'm going to have a couple of bites. I'm really going to relish it. And then I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be okay and have a tea that is, you know, has a nice flavor, but I don't have to eat that whole plate of dessert. I think it's about adapting our lives so we don't lose the joy um, but of all that fun experience, but we also are building in healthier habits. So I really appreciate that you said that. Yeah, Yasmin, I, I saw that too. I think it was like French fries have the highest amount of acrylamide. Maybe I'm pronouncing it incorrectly but that has a direct connection to depression. So like French fries are yes. the most depression inducing. I felt it, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like you said, we don't want to completely remove some things that bring us joy every now and then. It's when we eat them in abundance or eat them every yeah. day or they're just yeah, every day. Yeah. That becomes an issue, which I think so many Americans especially struggle with, which can lead to poor metabolic health. I, I would love for you to talk about the connection between metabolic health, which can poor metabolic health, which can affect our lipids, our weight, our blood pressure, um, all of that, and anxiety. So how can how do the two correlate? Sure. So you know, insulin resistance is linked to poor metabolic health. Um, and you know, increased cortisol levels. And cortisol is our stress hormone. And having those increased levels of cortisol actually then precipitate anxiety. Um, so one of the things I think we need to understand is that how, you know, a few things. Mental health is no longer an above-the-neck concept. It is a, an integration of everything in the rest of our body, but specifically and very, very much focusing and understanding that gut-brain connection. So what we, what we eat impacts our health. Um, if we are eating, you know, those French fries every single day and every dinner, we have to have it with our meal, every lunch, then over time, you know, you're going to be leading your body towards type 2 diabetes. You're going to, over time, potentially develop things like insulin resistance because you really are eating more of that standard American diet. And once you tip off your things like your leptin, which is that hormone that tells us we're full and, you know, we have that plate of dinner and we feel satiated, we're ready to have some berries or, you know, piece, piece of extra dark chocolate. But instead you think, mm, I'm, I, need, I need more food, so I'm going to take several more servings of what I ate. You know, you could be tipping off your leptin and starting to develop early leptin resistance. So all of these things are connected. And what I can say is that when you're, and I've seen this clinically and it shows in the research that when you have really tipped over your metabolic health, you start to develop much more anxiety. It can manifest as poor sleep, just anxious feelings, um, all of that. And then remember, when this is happening, things like leaky gut, you're setting off inflammation in your gut, and things like leaky gut start to develop. And that is also linked to poor metabolic health, increased inflammation, and therefore also more anxiety. How do you define leaky gut? If someone's listening, they're like, oh, I wonder if I have that. What, what is leaky gut? So, you know, it, it, it is, uh, the technical medical term is intestinal permeability. And what, what essentially happens is we, uh, let's just take the, the lens of nutrition. We're eating kind of poorly, eating more of a standard American diet. We, over time, develop dysbiosis or imbalance in our gut. Um, leading to inflammation in the gut. So what's happening is the breakdown products of the food are not those short-chain fatty acids that we want, but actually, actually the toxic polysaccharides, which start to damage and pierce the single cell lining of the gut. So when that gets damaged, these toxic uh, entities enter the, the bloodstream and it starts to circulate and that starts the whole cycle of inflammation in the gut leads to inflammation in the brain. So that leakage, that the, the lining of the gut, believe it or not, is a single cell lining, thick or thin. And it's not that hard to damage it. So these breakdown products formed by the negative, nasty microbes that also live in the gut, and they, you know, they love the, they love the candy bars and the sugar and, and all of that stuff, uh, the sodas, those unfortunately then start to damage. And that leak, that literally that leakage, um, 
is is what is leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And the million dollar question we all have, Dr. Naidu, is what are your top tips in food when it comes to reducing anxiety? So there are hundreds of foods that I talk about in the book. Um, I break it up into the middle section of the book is about the bioactives, the macronutrients, the micronutrients, because these are just terms that we get tend to get confused by. But I, what I did is I pulled out an acronym from the book of what I consider to be some of the foods you should really consider trying to keep on hand. But then I want people to dive into the longer list because not everyone eats the same foods. Not everyone even likes the same leafy greens. So it's C-A-L-M-S and the C is for choline, which you get from just two foods that I'll mention, there are lots more foods, are eggs, pastured eggs, or even legumes and lentils have choline in them. Then we've mentioned extra dark natural chocolate, uh, not the candy bars, the darker the better, um, the largest source of um, plant-based iron. And then the other C is vitamin C. Now I pair these together because vitamin C is hugely important for several biochemical reactions in the body, very easy to get from kiwi fruit and red bell peppers, as well as citrus fruit. But the World Health Organization has told us that iron deficiency anemia is the most common nutritional deficiency worldwide. It's most common in women of childbearing age and children. So eating that extra dark natural chocolate is actually a good and healthy habit because it gives you the plant-based iron, um, but you need vitamin C from say a piece of citrus or clementine or orange to help the absorption. So I put those C's together because they make sense and it's also a great tip to how you can improve your iron, um, but also just have rich cacao flavonols, the vitamin C that you need. The A is for antioxidants, which you get from that kaleidoscope of colors. One of the recipes I created in this book was a kaleidoscope salad because I think it's so much more than just the rainbow of colors. There's a myriad of phytonutrients and uh, flavonols and, and, and different things in the colors of foods we eat. So I want people to have that awareness and also ashwagandha, which is best as a supplement because it's bitter tasting, but there's a good amount of evidence from human trials for things like anxiety. So it's something you can talk to your doctor about. The L is for liquids. We've covered uh, hydration and I want people to be thinking about calming teas. And M is for magnesium. Several Americans are actually deficient in magnesium. But I also like to throw in more omegas in this one because we know that omega-3s from fatty fish or from plant-based sources like chia seeds or flax seeds are really great for brain health and they help calm the mind. And S is spices and herbs. So I never want people to forget that hidden pharmacy in their kitchen from, you know, the spices that have antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties that are just great for uh, great for calming ourselves. And so this way, you know, people have just a few working foods they can always be, you know, reaching out for and keep as part of their pantry or their fridge. We have a million questions and I'm sure you go into detail in your book, but I'm curious, you've mentioned calming teas a few times and that seems just like very easy and tactical. So what are your top favorite calming teas that you would recommend? Um, I love that you asked that question because I have to tell you, I expanded both my palate and my interest in teas through this book. Just, I've always drank tea from a child. I mean, I drink coffee as well, but, um, you know, I would really always favored my grandmother's chai, but I discovered lavender tea, you know, usually associated lavender with more of a spa experience, but actually you can make a lavender tea. I add citrus like lemon and mint to mine just to make it more interesting and super calming. It can easily be made into a tea, an infusion. And then um, the other one that I like is passion flower. So um, it, it is a very calming tea. It is something that you, you, can, you can literally buy and infuse yourself. And these, you know, expanded my, my experience of, of teas. So those two I really like. Chamomile is, is one that many people talk about. Um, I love uh, adding mint or, or fresh mint as an accessory to any of these teas, but also tea, a mint tea on its own, which are, are some of my favorites. I love all of those. Um, I'm wondering, you mentioned vitamin C, you mentioned iron, magnesium. Are those some of the more common deficiencies that you see in somebody who has anxiety? What should they be looking out for? So um, magnesium, vitamin D, 
um, iron are some of the most common. The other one is, depending on your diet, it could be some of the B vitamins. Uh, people who say a plant-based, maybe, not always, but they may need to supplement vitamin B12. So depending on what someone is eating, they may have a deficiency of, you know, of, of a certain nutrient. So finding out what they eat, uh, any if they have any food allergy or intolerance, because then they may not be able to eat a certain group becomes important. But those are some of the most common. And that's what I share in the book is, you know, what are the things I see? And what I wanted people to be able to do is use the book as a guide. Not everyone is able to see a therapist or a doctor. In fact, Research has shown that 70% of people never speak to a mental health provider. So the book is intended to be something that maybe you're waiting for a telehealth appointment. Maybe you're not sure, but you're just not feeling good. This is something you can try. So the, the, the list of foods, the examples alongside the nutrient deficiencies are meant to guide you towards what are the foods I can start eating and what supplement should I talk to my primary care doctor about or whoever it is you might be seeing. I love that you take a food first approach with just our depleted soils and the lack of variety that people have in their diets. Do you typically recommend things like multivitamin and supplements? I know you, you, you mentioned it. I feel you've heard the expression before, you know, you can't, um, you can't uh, supplement out of a bad diet and you can't exercise out of a bad diet. All of those are actually true. I, I feel like supplements really do provide a nutritional gap because none of us eats a perfect diet. Um, not only is our soil depleted, some of our foods and how our foods are made, manufactured, even grown, are not perfect. Um, so in this imperfect world, supplements form a very important role. You may not get enough of a certain supplement from your food and you want to make sure you're not deficient. You may want to speak to your doctor about testing something, making sure you get a panel of tests in case you're not feeling yourself, but you can't put your finger on it. Um, so I think more more than a multivitamin, which I'm not so much of a fan of these, uh, but if you do take one, make sure it's a clean supplement. But what I'm what I'm not a supporter of are the, the gummies that that actually end up being more like more like candy. So so I'd rather you just take a a nice clean supplement and and try that out. I would rather you have you know check with your doctor in your annual visit, get some blood tests if you're not sure that you may be deficient in something, and then replenish. You know he may need you, he or she may need you to take an iron supplement initially, depending on what your blood test chill. Um, but you can also, alongside that, always be using nutrition as a very powerful tool as well. It's so interesting. You mentioned those gummies. I've, I don't really take gummies. I've tried a few, but I'm always wondering like the dosage in there, like how much can you put in a gummy? Like, are they actually effective? I'm always so curious. <laughs> the, the companies that make them will tell you they're, they're effective and give you all sorts of information. I just I just feel like we, we kind of missing the point with the gummies because I understand we want to put it in a form that is easier for a child yeah. to consume or something like that. But I think there are other ways to rethink that because sometimes, uh, you know, they, they have to be sweetened somehow, right? So they either have some sugar in them or they have some alternative to sugar, which neither of which are the best ways to go. Um, whereas, you know, if you're eating food, if you're having fruit, you are getting a lot of nutrition that way. But, you know, you may live in the Northeast like me and you may, need, may be vitamin D deficient. So that could be a reason to eat the foods, but also uh, take a supplement you know, um, even for a short time until you replenish those levels. I know in your book, Dr. Naidu, you talk about the six pillars for a calming mind. I'm sure you've mentioned a few already on the podcast, but can you kind of walk through what those pillars might be? Sure. I'd like to share some of them with you. Um, and so we've, we've circled around this point, but one of the principles I believe in is, you know, um, eat, eat, the whole foods, right? Move towards eating whole foods as much as you can. It's not perfect, uh, but the, the 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 more times we eat the orange or the apple and really step away from the juices that are store-bought, have no fiber, and sometimes a ton of added sugar, uh, a good direction to go. Another one we've talked about without listing it is avoiding those foods that we know drive anxiety. Uh, most people think about those foods like french fries in terms of their waistline. 
um, you know, they'll think, oh, you know, if I overindulge in, in fries every day or fast foods every day, it's my waistline. No, it's actually your metabolic health. It's insulin resistance. It's driving your anxiety. It's setting up inflammation, right? So another pillar is stepping back, cutting back a little bit on those foods that are less healthy for us. And another pillar that, that I want to share is really adding in those um, kaleidoscope colors of the vegetables, produce, fruit in our environment uh, that are giving you fiber, which is a necessary and important nutrient to actually nurture the gut microbes, feeding them. And as well as all the phytonutrients, the colors, you know, carotenoids from carrots, anthocyanins from blueberries. These are just, um, you know, super helpful lycopene from tomatoes. All of these are just super helpful to feed our gut, but also just be nourishing ourselves. Setting up these pillars was it's intended to be, what are, the, what are the big six things I need to be thinking of if I'm struggling with anxiety? These are, and another one is, magnif we've covered this as well, magnify your micronutrients. And the reason is you, I want people to know what these bioactives are, and I want them to know where to get them from foods. You know, as a psychiatrist, I'm curious too, there's the food component and then there's the lifestyle component. What are some tips that you have for people who are struggling with anxiety right now and they want to start to look into the food, but what are some other lifestyle things they can incorporate to really help tame their anxiety? So the lifestyle components are actually a very, very big part of managing, um, just calming your mind. And what do I mean by that? You know, we've talked about hydration. We've, um, we've mentioned vitamin D. Well, you can get 80% of your vitamin D by spending 10 minutes in outdoor space, um, not through a window. So, you know, spending 10 minutes outdoors actually allows production of about 80% of your vitamin D for that day. Then I always say put on your sunscreen or your sunblock. Um, a mindfulness practice that works for you, important. It could be a form of breath work. It could be a mindfulness practice. It could be a form of meditation. Mindful eating, you know, I was a horrible eater when I was a psychiatry resident. I would be running, on call, eating on the run, never sitting down, really bad habits that I had to almost retrain myself after residency. So mindful eating, even if it's 15 minutes that you sit down um, at a different spot in your house or wherever you work from and eat your meal, just the absorption, the way you appreciate it is completely different. Things like shirinyoku or forest bathing, spending time in nature. You know, if you live in a city, maybe it's going to the park, maybe it's spending time amongst trees and just being in that form of nature. And if you have access to natural environments, spending time there can be very uplifting. Um, you know, some form of exercise or movement that that works for you, that you enjoy. Maybe it's a Zumba class, maybe it's yoga um, maybe it's Tai Chi, whatever it is, addition, in addition to just regular exercise that we want people to be trying to do on a regular basis becomes key. So it's this whole number of factors. And one of the things I talk about in the book is sort of some of the, the power nine from the blue zones, because I think the power of community, you know, you mentioned going out to eat with friends the other day, you know, having meals with other people. Uh, connecting, if you're single, connecting on Zoom with a family member, friends, so that you you have people in your life, that you are not isolated. Um, a very important study <clears throat> during COVID down at Mass General Hospital looked at the brain scans of individuals who did not have a COVID-19 infection. And the brain scans showed that they developed neuroinflammation during this period of time when people were isolated, and were separated from families, friends, and stuff like that. And what I think was really significant is that, you know, we are social creatures as humans. So, so important to have your tribe, have your friends, your family, your girlfriends, whoever it is in your life, because all of that actually contributes to our overall health and helps, really helps to uh, balance that anxiety as well. Yeah, I love that. And the feeling of safety, like when you're around people, I definitely notice a difference. So I love you bringing that up. Question that just came to mind. I've known a few people over the past few years that are close to me who might be dealing with levels of anxiety or not having a calming mind. Like they feel like they're always rushing and go, go, go. And 
they are working or they're interested in working with a psychiatrist, but they're very nervous about medication, right? They're like, do I need to be on it? I want to do a more holistic path. So if anyone's listening who might be dealing with their kids or themselves that are like, Dr. Naidu, what are your thoughts as a holistic psychiatrist and nutritionist when it comes to medication? Yeah. You know, I think there's, um, there's a time and place for medication. I tend to think that, uh, so, you know, full disclosure, my brother's a surgeon and one of my brothers is a surgeon. And he always says, when you go to a surgeon, I'm trained to cut. I'm, tra I'm trained to do surgery. So when I offer you a solution, I offer it through that lens. And it's really true. I'm not saying every surgeon does that, but it's a perspective to think about, right? In a similar way, the way that mental health is set up in the United States, you know, you go to see a psychiatrist, they likely to prescribe a medication. So I think part of it is very important in understanding that it depends on the level to which you are anxious. If you're anxious, like we talked about at the beginning, you really can't function, you can't get onto your Zoom meetings, or you, you can't get out of bed, or you can't leave the house. It could be that the anxiety has gotten a grip on you where you need a medication. And it might be that you work with the doctor to do that short term. Remember, you can always be using food alongside that. And maybe you over time might need less so you can work on more solutions. But you've got to get yourself out of that state of anxiety. On the other hand, maybe you are a busy mom or a busy person who's just finding it hard to get a hold of things. And that may require, you know, using the book to take a step back, build in some of those lifestyle practices we just talked about. And maybe for you and for your family or you and your partner um, or, you know, whoever it is that's in your life, you just start to tweak that diet in a slow and steady way, remembering it's a marathon and not a sprint. But changing even one habit when, when I have my patients come in, they will call me within a week and say, I'm sleeping better. You know, I, I gave this up or I cut back from X to X and I'm literally sleeping better. I'm sleeping through the night now or I'm sleeping uninterrupted for a few more hours than I was. Something that, that can be very powerful. So the differentiation is how severe is it? Um, and if it is that severe, you do need to see a, a, see a prescriber and maybe start medication initially. Uh, but if you're able to manage and you're coping, but you're just not feeling great, food is a really great niche way that you can start working on this right now. You know, Yasmin and I always say to the women who are doing our seed cycling protocol that good health takes time, especially when you're using a more holistic approach or you're using food as medicine or a root cause approach. And I think that can be disheartening for people because what took maybe 20 years to get to that point can't be fixed overnight. And so what are some words of encouragement that you, you kind of mentioned it, but for people who really want to, as Yasmin mentioned, take a more natural approach to their mental health, what are some things that you've maybe said to your patients or help them to help them understand that this might take time, but in the end, it'll be worth it. Sometimes I share uh, examples of success that I've had to encourage someone uh, who may have put obviously without sharing private information, but examples of something that maybe was common to what they are eating or drinking that may be um, a way that someone else was successful. That can be very powerful. Another thing is explaining that context of the um, gut-brain connection that this is uh, more of a marathon and that I am with them on this journey. That's, that's why they're seeing me in order to get from point A to point B. Um, another thing is really tapping into what their motivation is. So this is a little bit of a psychology beating, but if someone comes in and says, I am literally now drinking two glasses of wine every night since COVID because it's, you know, locked in with my family and everyone started having a cocktail in the evenings because again, it was a way to get by that horrible phase that we've, you know, tried tried so hard to forget now, but it, but it was a situation. So it might be the ice cream, it might be the cookies, it might be the increase in processed foods, which we know uh, from data that processed food sales increased at the beginning of COVID and they remained high. Some companies actually went back and produced more, more processed foods because the demand was high. So how do we, um, how do we use that habit that they are aware of to start to change 
the overall eating pattern slowly and steadily. So replacing that ice cream with one made from fruit, um, you know, changing how much of sodas we're drinking, switching out that wine, uh, maybe cutting back initially to one glass, then, you know, could I do it every other day? You know, maybe you do it on a, on a week by week uh, protocol, because remember, you can withdraw from some of these substances. So overarchingly, having them understand how powerful food can be is very important because if someone says, oh, but I don't think that's going to make a difference if I give up A, a B, and C or if I add in um, A, B, and C, uh, then you need to either work with someone who truly believes that it can help versus someone who's a skeptic. And, and I think that the individuals whom I've struggled with are those who are on the border of not only being skeptics, but they also might be orthorexic. So they have a healthy habit but it's the only habit they want, want to do. And it sort of upsets the apple cart because that that one healthy habit may exclude many other healthy foods. So that's some of so those are challenges. And sometimes I've not had success with orthorexia. But also another principle is adding in foods is, you know, how I want to start with people. These are the number of things you can eat, the number of things you can do. But hey, can we cut back from... X number of sodas to this number. Can we work on that glass of wine? Can we work on the ice cream? Can we cut back on the cookies? Can we can we learn a healthy recipe the, for a cookie made from, you know, pure ingredients that is even something you don't have to bake, but gives you that feeling that I'm not missing out on a cookie. Because when people feel more abundant, just the psychology helps them not feel deprived. And oh my God, doctors saying eat five less foods and I'm going to be hungry. All of that stuff is really key in in the sort of overarching management. So true what you said about orthorexia, especially being in the wellness space. There's so many people who strip down their diet to like five foods and are really terrified of incorporating anything else. And I always say like, ultimately, the goal is not to just be restricted to these five foods. It's to be able to incorporate an abundance of really good foods and not have your body react or respond to them. But sometimes I, I truly wonder if it's just the thought that other foods are going to harm them that creates that response versus the food actually harming them. Correct. And I think that's a really accurate point because I've often had people say, that's why I actually specifically will say to someone, um, you know, is it an allergy and intolerance or a dislike? You know, you may say, I don't like to eat brown rice because I've heard A, B, and C. You may say, um, you know, I can't tolerate brown rice because I can't digest it. It's too much fiber. Or I can have white rice, but I can't eat brown rice. I've heard this about lentils. I've heard this about so many foods. So important to get the specifics because quite often, to your point, it's like it's sort of a, a preference that's turned into a much bigger thing, almost in their mind, that is factually untrue. You know, it's not a reaction, it's not an allergy, it's not something that's going to harm them. But they've almost convinced themselves that, oh my God, I cannot eat that, you know, I cannot eat that food. And that can be very problematic. So I feel like one of the things I'm always aware of in, in the space that I work in, in nutritional and metabolic psychiatry is, I, I don't want to set people up for eating disorders. And, it, you know, it, it's it's so easy to tip over from healthy habits into disordered eating. And that fine line is often orthorexia that, that I'm super careful about. And I think life is just so much more rich when you can eat and try different foods and not have the fear it around is. it. So I've definitely been in that boat of more orthorexia of saying like, I can't eat grains or I'm only eating these types of foods or that type of food. And I will say that getting out of that has just made my life more beautiful. And I really respect and honor the different types of foods and varieties of foods that I can incorporate. It's it's just so much more fun, honestly. And it's more fulfilling. And, and you know, the other thing that people don't realize when they're in that sort of struggle, internal struggle with themselves is they also stressed. They stressed because it's only those five foods or those five food groups or those, I, I should say, those five varieties versus let me leave out that entire food group. And that stress, you know, we know microbes respond to stress. We know that stress upsets our balance of cortisol. So it's not necessarily that rigidity 
around someone who's truly orthorexic can actually be very stressful and be precipitating anxiety cycles of a different kind. So, you know, it's all, it's all connected. And I love something else that you just said where you're, and Kay has mentioned this to me too, like the importance of thinking about how to add more foods. Cause I'm someone, if someone tells me like, don't eat this, don't do that. Like, I hate when people tell me what to do. I'm like, no, I'm such a rebel. I'm like, I'm just, I don't want to do it that way. Like you're telling me not to eat the cookie. Like what's life? Like I get into that mindset, but Kaya also reminds me like, it's so amazing because you can just add in more food, more diversity. And I think that like you mentioned the psychology of like, oh, it's okay, just add more food to get more nutrients and feel better is, at least for me, has been very helpful on my own wellness journey. So I just wanted to highlight that. I, I, lo I love that you said that because the way I think about a nutritional psychiatry anti-anxiety plate is the more food, the better. But, you know, I'm talking about 50% of that being those greens, those cruciferous vegetables, those colors, your clean protein. And I, I reverse the, the, the sort of portions. I want the grain to be there. I want it, you know, but I, I want to advise you that it should probably be something like quinoa. Um, if you are, are partial to, you know, rice, there's a way to cook and cool the rice to lower the glycemic index. But what I don't want it to be is the entire plate of quinoa and then some sprinkled veggies. I think we have to just think about whatever it is to have that balance. You should have the healthy fat. You should have the clean protein. You know, someone may have salmon, someone may have tofu, whatever it is. And then you add in those spices. So it's about making that, to your point about being abundant, because often when someone sees such a full, full plate of food, they almost feel satiated just by, you know, we eat with our eyes first. And you, you almost feel like, oh, this is, you know, I'm going to have to take time to finish this. And, and, and so it's, 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 it really works. Part of this is really working with our own psychology, right? And helping ourselves that way too. Well, what a beautiful way to end this with abundance. Thank you, Dr. Nardu, for all of your work in this field. I'm so excited to see what's next for you. And if anybody's interested in learning more about the book and learning more about you, what should they do? Well, um, I would love for them to go to my website, umanaidumd.com. I would love for you to subscribe to my newsletter because every week I outline a different food. Right now I'm talking about all things anti-anxiety foods and highlighting them. Um, but also you can buy the book. You can actually support your local bookstore or go online and buy the book, Calm Your Mind with Food, or my first book, This Is Your Brain on Food. They kind of pair up together. And I would love just to hear from people. Follow me on social at Dr. Uma Naidu, which is at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. -O. And thank you both for all the wonderful work you're both doing and sharing with the world. And congratulations on your success. And thank you for having me back. It's always great to talk to you both. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Naidu. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.